0: Job, good job, guys. Oh, we. Uh, this is actually the second message I wrote this week. The first one was so good that I deleted it off the computer and threw all the copies in the trash. And you may feel this should be the same place, but I don't think so. I uh, read through the scripture, and there's interesting things to be found here. I attended Ms. Mary Layson's funeral uh, this last Wednesday. I don't know how many of you might know Ms. Layson. She was the third oldest member of First Baptist Church. She had been homebound for a while. I understand that she had been with hospice, under hospice care for the last several years. And last Sunday, Jesus came for Ms. Mary and took her home. The hospital chaplain delivered the eulogy and he told a story that really has, has affected me. I've told it a number of times. I wanted to tell it to you this morning because it fits where we're going. I don't know if it's 100% accurate. Theologically, it's pretty sound. But we won't know if it's 100% on the money until we get to experience going home ourselves. The Hospice chaplain works for a group that one time handled... Uh, hospice cases from birth to as old as a human being can get and he said that uh, his company has changed now and they don't do the children anymore and he's very happy about that and I can understand that. He said and I agree with him that you know we're all getting older and old people die. It's just what we do. You read uh, Psalm 90, 10 says, our lives last 70 years or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. That's scripture and it's true. It's no surprise to us that we all get old and we passed away and Our parents pass, and then we pass, and then one day our children. Well, it's just life. It's the way things operate. But children are a different thing. Children aren't supposed to die. And even for those trained to help people over the divide, it's a very difficult thing to see. Chaplin said that he was very grateful when the hospice quit accepting children into the program because it was so very hard but early in his career he told a story young girl I think he said she was six and I think he said that she had terminal cancer and one day her and her mom were sitting in the living room on the sofa and the little girl turned to mama and she said mama what will it be like to die mom said that she quickly remembered there was something in the kitchen that she needed to do and she excused herself from her daughter right quick and went into the kitchen and bawled her eyes out because how was she going to answer that question what was she going to say to her little precious six-year-old daughter who was going to experience this what what was she going to say and just then she said a, a ray of sunlight Shot through the window, and y'all know how that is. It it hits just right, and you get a little shaft of light, and you can see the dust dancing around. in that y'all've seen that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And when she saw that, <coughs> when she saw that, she said, "I knew my answer. I knew exactly what I needed to say." So she went back and she sat down beside her daughter. And before she could get comfortable, her daughter asked her again, "Mom." What is it going to be like to die? And the mom said to her, honey, do you remember what it's like when you're playing in the floor with your brother and you get so tired that you fall asleep on the floor? But when you wake up, you're in a different room and you're in your bed and you're covered up and you're all warm and you're all snug. And you're all safe. Honey, Jesus said that he was going to go to God's house and build you a room and that he was going to come back and get you one day. And when he does, it's going to be like going to sleep. And when you wake up, you'll be in a different room. You'll be warm. You'll be safe. And instead of me and your daddy standing there, Jesus will be there and it's going to be okay it's just going to be okay. It's a good story. And I want to say this about that, too. It kills me to think about it. I know that some of you in this room have experienced this, and I can't tell you how sorry I am for that. I've tried to, one of the things that I try to do as a pastor is sometimes I like to sit down and think about what you're going through and try to put myself in your situation so maybe I could feel a little bit of what you feel or think a little bit of what you think and I don't I don't do that with this I did it one time and it broke my heart to think about losing one of my kids and I'm not going to go there again I don't like that it's no fun and I can't imagine the grief and pain that you've gone through and we don't want to know that for ourselves but we do want to say that we love you. And we do want to say that we pray for you. And we do want to say that if we could remove your pain, we would do that. But we know that the only one that can do it is Jesus. And so we talk to him about you. But now for all of us, I want us to think about the story just a little bit and how it fits in with Jesus' words here in John 8. I've heard the church criticized before because what we talk about is pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. One of these days you're going to heaven when you die. You need to get your life right because if you get your life right, then when you die, you can go to heaven. But I want to ask you this question. I want you to think seriously with me today. Stay with me and think about this. Was either that mother or that daughter dead when this conversation took place? That's a dumb question. No, they weren't. But were they not comforted there? Were they not given hope there while they were alive? And where did that hope and that comfort come from? The hope and the comfort came from Jesus. I want you to think about this. The woman that we talked about last week, the one that was caught in the very act of adultery, reviled by the very people who are supposed to know the truth, where did she find mercy and grace while she was alive? She found it from Jesus. In verse 21, Jesus says, I'm going away, you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. The people that Jesus is talking to here are not Christ followers. Mostly they're skeptics, they're unbelievers, they're people who are looking for a good argument and he says, I'm going away and you will look for me. Now we know what he's talking about ultimately. We've read the book. They didn't get to read the book yet. It hasn't happened but what we know is going to happen is Jesus is going In probably six months to a year from this point, he's going to be crucified. He's going to spend 24 hours dying the worst death that anybody could ever die. He's going to be hung on a cross, nails through his hands and his feet, on a cross in the hot Israeli sun, overlooking a garbage dump. That's where he's going to die, and we know this is coming. We know what he means when he says he's going away. But what does he mean when he says, you will look for me? What does that mean, you're going to look for me? When the wine runs out at a wedding... When you travel and you get hungry and you pass a hillside, when things get so out of hand at the temple that they can't even think about God, when they have questions at midnight, when they're sick and it doesn't look like they're going to get any better when you do ridiculous things, when you make horrible decisions, when you hook up with somebody just to have company and be with another person, when you realize what you've done and you crave mercy, when it's dark and stormy and frightening and terrifying, and you are so afraid, you will look for me, he is saying. You will look for me. Do you hear what John's telling us in the story? That Jesus isn't talking about happily ever after. Jesus is talking about here and now. I'm going away and you're going to look for me right now. You're going to remember what I've said and remember what you've seen. And you're going to dream for those things. But you will die in your sin because you don't believe that Jesus is for right now. You don't believe he's for right this minute. He said, you are from below, he told them. I am from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he. What is he saying? If you do not believe that I am the one, listen. Listen to what Jesus has said himself. I am the one who came down from God to seek and to save you. I came looking for you. I came wanting to find you and you'll die in your sins. Let's look at that. Notice that Jesus doesn't say here, he doesn't say that you're going to go to hell and he doesn't talk about outer darkness and wailing and gnashing of teeth. He says something much more real to us that's right this moment. He says you will die in your sins. You will die searching You will die searching and never finding. Does it bother you like it bothers me when people like Michael Jackson die? And you know all of his life he's done strange things and changed the way he looked and changed the pigmentation of his skin and built this great amusement park to live in, did all of these things searching for something that he couldn't get his hands on. Whitney Houston did the same thing and Heath Ledger and Amy Winehouse, John Belushi, Jimi Hendrix, Elvis Presley died looking for something that they couldn't get their hands on. Your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your cousin, your husband, your wife, you... Searching, looking, all of your life, looking for wine to drink, bread to eat, healing, comfort, compassion, mercy, acceptance, looking everywhere, reading every book, listening to every speaker, everywhere you can go, always hungry, but never quite getting it, always thirsty, but it's never quite enough always feeling like you're stumbling around in the dark how is this going to end do I know what I'm doing will I get this thing right I just don't know that's what Jesus means you'll die in your sins you will die searching and hungry therefore I told you that you will die in your sins for if you do not believe that I am he you'll die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he Who is he? I am the one sent from God. I learned everything from God. I speak only what God has told me to speak. I myself am God, and I came looking for you. I came looking for you. John 8, so Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own, But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. You know, we've read the end of the story. We understand that when you lift up the Son of Man, that means Jesus is talking about being on the cross. When you nail me to the cross, then you will know I didn't do any of this for myself. Well, yeah, all of this stuff that Jesus is doing, he, you, no, nobody does that for that. That's not the kind of reward anybody wants. He says, I'm not doing this on my own. I'm doing it for the Father. He's with me. Some of you will say that there's e- all this evil that's happening to me is because the devil is doing it. But that's not true. You'll be wrong. God has not left me because I always do what pleases him. Always Listen and understand. Always does what pleases him. Got a little test for you. I've, 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 I've given this test before. I want to see if you've learned your lessons well. How often is always? Well, it's always before I was born after I'm gone in fact always doesn't have a place to start and always doesn't have a place to end and Jesus says that I always do I always do I always do what have we learned so far We've gone through the book of John looking to see Jesus and want to understand who he is and and, and take it and understand what it means. What has he done? What has he done that pleased the Father? The first thing he did in chapter 1 was invite people to follow him and learn and work and live and be changed. The second chapter, it pleased him to turn water. Listen to this. He turned water into wine Yes, it proved his deity, but he turned water into wine for no other reason than to save a wedding. Do you understand? There was no glorious thing. Thousands of people weren't saved. Billy Graham didn't speak. They didn't sing 27 verses of just as I am. It was a wedding that was going to be ruined. And Jesus changed the water into wine for that. Chapter 3, it pleased him to meet with a powerful man after dark and talk to him. Do you understand that this powerful man that wanted to talk to Jesus didn't want anybody to know? You. If you had somebody call you on the phone and say, look, I want to come talk to you but I don't want anybody to know that I'm coming to talk to you because it'd make me look bad. So can you hang around in your office till about 10 o'clock tonight till it's good and dark, keep the lights off so I can show up, I'll slip in the door, if you leave it unlocked so I don't have to stand outside so anybody can see because I don't want anybody to talk bad about me because I came and talked to you. What would be your response? And Jesus said, that's cool. Come on, let's talk. And what he told him is, you know what? You have worked as hard as you can, but you can never go any further than you are right now until you let me make you brand new. You must be born again. In the fourth chapter, it pleased him to turn a floozy woman at the well into the greatest evangelist that had ever lived in her community. In the fifth chapter, it pleased him to heal. Listen to this. Listen to this. Y'all, listen to this. It pleased him to heal a man. Listen to me. Listen to me. It pleased him to heal a man who had no faith. When you're listening to these people preach, teach, communicate, whatever we want to call it on television, and they say that if you would have more faith, turn off the television. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on him. His love for you, he came to seek and to save and to heal. He healed a man that had no faith because that's what made God happy. He fed 5,000 people. He walked on water. Can you imagine? I just, Jesus has got to have, he's got to have that kind of personality. I can't wait to meet him face to face. Don't want to be on the next train, but when I get there, I want to see. When Peter said, when Peter said, if it's you, let me walk on the water, I can imagine Jesus leaned back and he went, this is going to be fun. Come on. And Peter stepped on the water and he didn't sink. And Jesus just grins ear to ear. This is cool. Yeah, he's gonna sink in a minute. But man, he's gonna remember this for the rest of his life. And every guy in the boat's gonna be going, Why didn't I ask him if I could come out there? This is gonna be cool. It pleased him to do that. It pleased him to tell us that he's the bread of life, the water. The water we drink to never be thirsty again, that He's the light of the world. It pleased God the Father and His Son Jesus to give mercy to a woman who meant nothing. Listen, nothing to anyone but to them. And that's not heaven in the future. That's mercy now. That's mercy this moment. That's mercy this minute, this instant. That's grace. That's Jesus. Doing what pleases his father. Verse 34 says Jesus responded, Truly I tell you that everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. Now, if you're a slave, you're not going to stay in the master's house forever. Master could save you. He could reassign you somewhere else. Or you could just get old, you know. Not be able to perform the duties that you once could. But if you're a son, and you're in the father's house, you never go anywhere. You're always in the father's house. You're always a child. So if if the son sets you free from slavery... If he adopts you into the family, Jesus' words in the in the Christian standard are: "You really will be free. You really will be. You really will be free." God, Randy, I don't feel free. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's the word free again. That word's in the New Testament seven times. Six times that word is translated free. One time that word is translated deliver. Work those two together. The truth will deliver you, The truth will set you free. What does it set you free from? It sets you free from dying in your sins. It, t- it sets you free from hungering and thirsting and searching and stumbling in darkness. It sets you free to live in life. It sets you free to live for the gift that he has really given you. It has set you free to live away from anybody's ideas of you, anybody's words of you, anybody's anything they've ever said of you anything that you've ever put on yourself any failures any successes anything it sets you free there is nothing to hold you there is nothing to bind you there is nothing to stop you there is nothing that you cannot do that he has called you to do if you continue in my word You really are my disciples. I learned something this week. I've struggled with the words. A few of you have struggled with this word. We've sat down. We've had conversations together about what this word means. And here it is. The Greek word is minnow. And I'm telling you that because when I say Greek words, it means that I'm smart. I took took lots and lots and lots of Greek. I couldn't read it for nothing now. But the word is minnow. Now, minnow... Is translated here continue it's also translated remain and dwell and tarry and endure but 61 times 61 times the word minnow is translated abide now if you've been fighting with that word abide and what does it mean abide what it means is to continue It means that you hold on to that this is the philosophy, this is the person, this is what you hang on to each and every day. No magic to it. You just stick with it every day that comes. What you, listen, what you continue in, what you abide in is what drives you. It's what directs you. It's what makes you feel. It's the basis of of your activity each and every day. If you watch Fox News 24-7, 365, you're going to think that that Donald Trump is the greatest man that has ever lived and he's going to save the world. If you watch CNN, you're going to think Donald Trump is the worst man that has ever lived and he's going to take America to perdition in a handbasket. And the thing is that both of you share both the ones that are watching the Fox and the ones that are watching CNN, what you both share is a boatload of anxiety. A boatload of things that are churning in your gut because the world as you know it is going to fall apart because you continue in that. If you abide in the real housewives of Atlanta, I can honestly say that I have never watched an episode. Can't understand why you do, but every week on Twitter, I'll see a trend that says RHOA, and that's Real Housewives of Atlanta, so there's a bunch of folks watching that program. If you abide in the Real Housewives, or maybe you're into Orange is the New Black, or Stranger Things, or Master of None, Those are all on Netflix. I've not watched them. They may be the most horrible things in the world. I don't have a clue, but people watch them. If you abide in softball, baseball, soccer, gymnastics, dance, there's nothing wrong with those things at all. But if you abide there, if you continue there, if your mind share is consumed there, or maybe it's your family or work or friends or problems, or challenges, or possibilities, or it's your to-do list. When these things consume us, they distract us, and we start feeling things that aren't true. Your feelings, no. If you continue, if you abide in my word, You really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is the truth? It's very, very simple. God is for you. He's for you. He came looking for you. His heart's desire, what pleased him, pleases him, is when he finds one of you. And when he found us, God sent Jesus looking for us. And he doesn't want to make us, listen, oh, please, for heaven's sakes, understand. He doesn't want to make you into that person that nobody wants to be around because you're so holy and you're so wonderful and everything. No, he he wants to set you free. We aren't required. Listen. We are not required to be a slave of anything. We're not required to be a slave of anybody, anyone, at all, ever, period. He sets us free to know, to understand, to relax, to live confidently. That whatever happens, I can face it. And whatever happens came from his hand. And he will be glorified. And I will be blessed. Whatever it is. Abiding in his word means that you hang on to every day, every moment. You hang on to the truth that Jesus has spoken. Regardless of how you feel. That you hang on to the truth that he came to seek and to save the lost. He sought you. He found you. He adopted you into the family. He set you free to live. And no one can take that away from you ever. Nothing can separate you. No matter who says what, you are his for eternity. Now, for those of us who are saved, that's our reality. There are those who are still seeking, and to you this morning I want to tell you that he is seeking his mission was to find you. That you are special to him. But it's it's the easiest difficult thing you ever do to let him find you. Because the easy part's this. You just, just turn to him and tell him. But the hard part is to mean it. To say, I surrender everything I am, everything that I was. I surrender my hopes, my dreams, my family, my children. I turn away from all of it. because I want to follow you and wherever you go I'll go I need you to save me you can say the words till the cows come home but that's hard to turn to him and say I give it up and that's what he asks of you Just pray I'm going to sing in this prayer, so y'all look out. If you know the song, sing it loud so you can drown me out. If you're in the chapel, you might know this one a little bit better than some of us do here.
1: But it just works. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation. Now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. Name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So, Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater.
0: Jesus, you are holy. Jesus, you give comfort. Jesus, you give us strength. Jesus, when we think we can't go another step, you give us that step. Jesus, when we wish we could die, you bring us back to life. When we're hopeless, you step in and give us hope when we choose things that sends our world into shambles, you pick us up and you make us brand new. Jesus, you are our Lord. Forever be praised, forever be glorified. Forever you are our Savior and King. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ through whose presence and in whose name we approach the throne. Amen. Amen. You know what you need to do this morning. I'll ask you to stand. I don't want you to sing, if Kathy might hate me, but I ask her to sing and Kim to play and ask you to pray. If you need to pray for yourself, pray for yourself. But pray for those that don't know Jesus. They're in this room, they're in the chapel and they're searching and we don't want them to search forever. And pray for yourself that if you don't know what it feels like to be free, ask him to make you free. Would you stand?